You're listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast from City of Dreams Media Incorporated. Louisiana Basin has now gotten more than 43 days of rain and it doesn't appear to be slowing down. Flooding from New Orleans and all the way to Hammond has brought a lot of businesses to a halt. Orange crops for the year are in danger of being decimated. The winter storm that froze much of the South over the past couple of months has taken a toll on whatever growers were hoping to salvage after another bad year. Congress continues to debate over the Climate Action Bill, now ballooning to more than $3 trillion. The Wilson Republican Party continues to hold fast against the current bill. Meanwhile, President Katherine Emerson says that she is ready to do whatever is within her power to make this bill happen. Cities all across the U.S. are experiencing the highest temperatures ever. In Dallas, the thermostat popped up at 106. In Boise, it got as hot as 103. And down in Miami, it was a blistering 105 degrees with a heat index of over 114. Now proclaims many of the coastal regions of Vietnam, especially the Vung Tau area, a disaster zone. Hundreds of thousands of residents have been forced out of their homes as floodwaters remain also, sitting in Miami's place mayor now. Miami's calling for the state and the federal governments to do more to help. The October King Tide is the worst ever as waters have reached more than three feet across Miami Beach and parts of Miami-Dade. The current seawall is not working in the pump system has been working non-stop for more than five years. struggle with mudslides as rough weather lingers over the city. They have now experienced more than three straight weeks of rain. People have left many parts of town because they're afraid of the mudslides taking them away and washing them into the ocean. Some are staying in their homes to protect whatever they own. Meanwhile, ports in Cuba remain closed as flooding in the streets of Havana worsens. Tens of thousands have... many ways of trying to make change in this world. Sometimes you have to protest. Sometimes you got to push laws to be passed that are going to affect the issues that are important to you. What, uh, actually, I don't need that power because what I would do is ask you, sir, from Louisiana. I'm giving you the to power. Search, you're presenting, to search it's you, sir, with your, with from Louisiana, positive. to search your heart when, and understand why the EPA knows that toxic petrochemical facilities My are something. And sometimes you have to take things to court and you just have to fight it out through the legal system. I, I am suing Governor Scott and the state of Florida. They have failed to honor their duties outlined in the Florida Constitution as well as the public. Well, that's exactly what's happening with a group of young people in the state of Florida. They're suing the state. Actually, they're suing the governor and numerous other people in the Capitol because, well, they said that these folks are not doing enough to protect the citizens from the oncoming climate crisis. Any of these methods will not be easy, and they're going to take a lot of time, but they're necessary. This is a battle for the future of our species. So whatever you have at your disposal, use it. In this week's episode of the Planet Earth 2072 podcast, I want to introduce you to one of the most involved Gen Zers I've ever met. Now, some people have dubbed her 
the Greta Thunberg of South Florida. But here's the thing. This young woman has been at it a lot longer than Greta. Delaney Reynolds wrote children's books on climate change when she was just a teenager. She's the founder of the Sink or Swim Project. It's a nonprofit. And she's received the inaugural National Geographic Teen Service Award. She's also hosted a TEDx talk. And by the way, those are just a few of her accolades and accomplishments. Let's go to this episode's conversation with Delaney Reynolds. You were part of a, a group of, again, young people uh, suing the state of Florida, suing the governor, suing a number of different people uh, you know, in, in, our, our, in Tallahassee uh, that run the state because you felt they weren't doing enough to protect the environment. I mean, you clarify for us what the lawsuit is and where is it right now? Yeah, sure. So um, how the lawsuit came to be, I guess I'll start with that. So seven of my friends and I, all youth from around the state of Florida, filed this lawsuit back in 2018, April of 2018. And what the lawsuit says is that we are suing the state of Florida, the government of Florida, um, the governor, the commissioner of agriculture, and essentially the governor's entire cabinet for not upholding legal duties that are outlined in the Florida constitution and something called the public trust doctrine, which both say that our government has the legal duty to protect our public trust resources, um, our land, our waters, and the atmosphere by way of pollution. Um, so of course, by burning fossil fuels and pumping massive amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, they're not doing their job. So that's the basis of what we're suing on. And we are asking them to create plans and laws that they will enact to hopefully cut back our carbon emissions. Um, so we have been fighting very hard over the last three years. Um, we had our very first hearing um, summer of 2020 and the judge acknowledged the state's motion to dismiss. So he ended up dismissing our case um, on the basis that he thought that this wasn't something that he as a judge could address. Um, he didn't think that he had the power to do so. Um, what's interesting is that Article 3 of our United States Constitution explicitly says that the judiciary has the power to address um, maritime stuff. And this is included in that. Um, so since then, we filed for appeal, and just recently, last month, um, they also dismissed our appeal motion. Now, there are many more steps that we can take and are working on taking, so our lawsuit is far from over. We're still very optimistic about it. Um, our lawyers are hard at work right now weighing all of the different options and paths that we can take, uh, so we're, we're very excited about that. I just wrote an entirely new statement for them this past weekend, so... We're, we're, we're going in a positive direction, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, when I, when I first got involved pursuing a judicial solution, I, I did this, Lewis, because the political system, it's polluted and it's biased. And it's so closely tied to developers and utilities, antiquated ways of doing business. So I felt like I didn't have a choice but to pursue through our legal system because our politicians, our executive and our legislative branches were failing us when it came to climate change. When you think uh, about Delaney, when you think about 
the last three years of this lawsuit and everything that you've been through, you've learned a lot more about the, the that political system and you see how, you know, the, the, the machine grinds forward, how it, how it works. Um, is there anything you would have done differently? Would you have approached this differently? Or do you think, nope, this is exactly what we needed to do? Yeah, I, I don't think I would have approached it differently. I think that the way that the case was written, um, was exactly how it should have been. I think that the way that we approached it is exactly the way that we should have. Um, I think, you know, personally, I think that even though the judiciary is supposed to be biased, there were a lot of politics behind the scenes, to be honest. We were reassigned a judge three different times. Um, One of them was right before the midterm election, which was interesting, to say the least. Um, But, you know, when I... When I first got involved with the case, someone very early on told me that I should expect to spend the rest of my life working through the courts to figure this out. So while I would obviously love to see this solved quickly, I know that it's going to take a long time. And change, change of the magnitude that we've been trying to tackle here in our society, shifting from an economy based on fossil fuels to one based on renewable energies, it's going to take time. Um, and change all over society and our government. Um, But I know that if we don't endeavor to make those changes, we're going to lose places like Miami, Miami Beach, the Florida Keys. And I, for one, don't want to see that happen. So we have to forge forward no matter how sticky politics gets. We have to keep fighting. Um, We don't really have a choice. If we don't, our whole region is conceivably going to sink. You had the opportunity some years back to work with a politician on something really amazing. This is back when you spoke, when you worked with uh, former South Miami mayor of uh, Philip Stoddard and you both worked on basically a law, right? I mean, uh, uh, it was uh, an idea in South Miami that all new construction of homes should have solar panels on them. Before we get to what's happening now, because there is some update on that is tell me just briefly how the how in the world a teenager gets together with a mayor and then writes a law that I've never heard that before. Yeah, it was it was a crazy concept to me too, but I learned about there's there's three laws in California. There's three different cities that have laws, one of them being San Francisco. And uh, they all require that buildings or homes install solar panels. And I thought being here in the sunshine state of Florida, as we're known, uh, that would be the perfect place to implement a similar law. So I, I started by writing a letter to about a dozen mayors asking if they would be interested in creating and implementing something similar. And uh, um, Mayor Stoddard was the first to respond, and he was super enthusiastic about the idea. He loved it. Um, he was all in, but he had one condition, and that was that I had to help him write the law. <laughs> so um, even though I had no experience in anything having to do with the law, um, other than talking to politicians occasionally, uh, I, I dove right in. So he and I met countless times, spent hours on end, taking the laws from California, molding them, changing them to fit the codes in South Miami. And about a year later, we had our first draft. Um, And after a few revisions and um, public hearings, it was passed. Um, So in 2017, it made the city of South Miami the first city in the state of Florida and Florida the second state in the United States to have a solar power law. And here we are now, a few Mm -hmm. years later, and the city commission is, is looking at 
creating an option to let developers opt out of it. Uh, as you watch that happen, again, this is this is politics at work. This is <laughs> this is sometimes, and it could be infuriating. You work so hard to do something, and then the next administration can come in and try to sideswipe it. What do you think about what's going on right now? I think that you know, there's always room for improvement with everything. Um, right now, what the commission was initially trying to do is that they were told that there were some concerns from the public, um, complaints that people didn't want solar, there wasn't a way out of the program. Um, now, what's interesting is that they don't know how many complaints there are, who they were from. Um, so to me, it's kind of like based on nothing. Um, there's no fact there to go off of, but they're pursuing it, which is fine. Um, so what they, they talked about was finding an opt-out for installing solar on people's roofs. And they talked about a lot of different ways that they could do that. But Mayor Stoddard actually worked with the um, city clerk to come up with a way that is both beneficial for people who want to opt out of solar, which I don't know why they would want to, but um, for people who want to opt out of solar. And that is that there's a program where they can basically pay almost the equivalent of putting solar on their roof and that money is going into a fund a trust fund for the city and they're going to use that money to um, put solar on government facilities so whether it's um, like parking lot roofs or on any city of south miami official buildings anything like that that's what that trust is going towards and once they've completed that if the trust is large enough then they would ultimately use that to help fund homeowners getting solar on their own roofs. Um, so to me, that's fine. That's beneficial. I, I went and I spoke in front of the commission and I told them, feel free to do anything that you want to improve the law, to make it easier for citizens of South Miami to get solar on their homes, um, make it more beneficial for them. Just don't dismantle it. It's, it's such a landmark law. It's the first of its kind in South Florida. The whole world is watching what they're about to do with it. Um, so I really hope they don't dismantle it for their own sake, <laughs> um, because people all over the world have reached out to me, spoke to me about it. I've met with people over it, um, and it, it really does get a lot of media attention. So not only is it good for our environment, but it's a good spotlight on the little city of South Miami. Um, so I, I hope that they make the right decision. You're listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast, a production of the City of Dreams Media Incorporated. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez. This episode, we're talking with Delaney Reynolds, a Gen Zer who's been fighting to help educate and change the world for the better in her battle against the climate crisis. You can find more about her work and her accomplishments. It's on our website, planetearth2072.com. And by the way, always share your thoughts with us on our website or on Facebook under Planet Earth 2072. So what do you think about what she was saying when she talked about working with former South Miami Mayor Philip Stoddard when they wrote a law together? They wrote a law that made it so all new development had to put up solar panels. Do you think that's what it's going to take to get more people on solar, more people using renewable energy? Is it going to be laws? Share your thoughts. I'd really love to hear from you. 
By the way, there's a book that goes with this podcast. It's also called Planet Earth 2072. It's a science fiction novel. It's a collection of stories which take place in Miami and Las Vegas in the early fall of 2072. You can find a couple of stories from that book already out free. It's on the website and it's also on Wattpad. If you're on that platform, just look up Radio Host. Let's get back to our conversation with student and activist Delaney Reynolds. I'm going to put you on the spot for a second here. You said something really interesting. You know, why aren't more people interested in setting up solar? I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I mean, from the people we've talked to, and Philip Stoddard's one of them, is, okay, it's a great way to take the power back from the utility companies. You always have power, you know, and if you have your batteries, you'll always have power. Um that just seems like an easy sell, but why do you think so many people still don't have it or don't don't fight harder for it? Yeah, you know, I, I think about this a lot. I grew up in a solar power home, so I grew up learning about the benefits both to our very own pocketbook and the environment. Um, I think people are afraid of the initial cost to install solar power. Um, I think that that is a real kicker for a lot of people because... It, it is kind of expensive, but you have to look at the other incentives around it. Once it's installed, the system pays for itself within 20 years. Um, so 20 years or left, less, you're going to get whatever money you spent installing the system back. Because if you're connected to both solar power and the grid, whatever extra money or whatever extra energy you generate from solar that you're not using, you can sell back to the power grid. So Florida Power and Light here, for example. Um and they're going to give you money for that. So it's it's free money from the sun. Um, it pays for itself. It's obviously better for the environment. And a lot of people say, a lot of scientists have actually said that if we were to crack down and get serious about solar power, half of Florida's energy needs could come from the sun by 2045. That's right around the corner. That's within my lifetime, within a lot of your listeners' lifetime. So if we were to just get serious about that, we could make a huge difference here in South Florida. Um and the price of solar, it, it may be daunting at first, but it's getting cheaper every day. I think it actually, at this point, is cheaper than your normal electrical grid. Um, our power bill in my solar-powered house is 7 to $15, depending on the month, 15 during the summer when we're cranking the AC because it's getting hotter, climate change, um, 7 when it's cooler in the winter and we turn it off and we open the windows. But it, it's cheap, It's and it's it's just so easy. You know, during a hurricane, we went through Hurricane Irma. Um, we shut the power off because we were afraid of the batteries getting circuited. After the storm, we went back. Our roof was still intact. We strongly believe the only reason our roof stayed on our house was because the solar panels were bolted into it and kept it there. We flipped the power switch back on, immediately had power, whereas other people all over the state didn't. They were out of power for weeks. Um, so we were fortunate in that way. So it's it's a benefit here in Florida. I I, I, I struggle understanding why people aren't more in favor of it. Seems like an easy sell. But you're right. I think that sometimes the initial cost, at least for some people, might be challenging. I wonder, and, and maybe just something to look down the road, why politicians don't fight a little harder to make that a, a little more accessible. Um, you know, when you think about that, the other thing I wanted to ask you too is, 
I mean, look, the temperature's rising. Oceans are rising. King tides are getting worse. Uh, we saw that the neighborhood in the Keys flood a couple years ago, and, and the, the king tide came in. That water sat there for almost 100 days. Um, do you think that we are preparing, even if we change our ways and we keep the planet from getting too warm, it, we've caused damage already. You already know this, and we're going to have to pay for, the, for those, the, you know, for that mistake. We're going to pay the consequences. But do you think we're doing enough to get ready for what's coming in the de decades ahead? The short answer to your question is not yet. I don't think we're doing enough yet. Set in stone, we're going to see two to three feet of sea level rise from the damage that we've already done. And I don't think we're prepared for it like we think we are. We're only seeing inches of flooding right now. And it's impacting people's homes. It's impacting people's businesses, ways of life. People can't drive around when it happens. Um, Miami Beach has been spending half a billion dollars because people were having trouble spending money at businesses. And our tourism economy was suffering from it. Um, but Miami Beach is the only one that's been implementing a project that large. So no, I don't think we're doing enough. I think that we really need to ramp up adaptation and mitigation efforts. Um, otherwise, a lot of these places could disappear. The Keys, super low lying, most of them sometimes below sea level. Um, and that's, that's a huge problem. They're going to disappear, but they're not really doing too much about it. They've talked about eminent domain, taking people's houses away when they can no longer live in them because it's flooding so much. But other than that, they haven't implemented anything when it comes to sea level rise. So that's that's just the mitigation part of it. The Obviously, the other part of it is how do we change? And that's all of us, that, that you, me, all of us. How do we how do you convince people to change their lives um, so that they're doing they're benefiting the planet more? Uh, so that we don't make things worse. I mean, I know you've heard this before. People will come up and say, oh, but Delaney, I'm just one person. Well, what exactly can I do? Yeah, and I, I, you know, when people say that to me, yes, you're just one person, but if everyone thought that way, nothing would get done. You're one person, but if you start doing something, then maybe you might inspire your friends to start doing something. And then that's five, six, seven people. And the chain goes on and on. People inspire other people. Um, we want to better our society, naturally. I think everyone does. Um, we may have different ways of going about doing that. Of course, everyone is entitled to their own views. But the only way we're going to better our society is if we better our environment. So it's, you know, it's difficult trying to just convince people out of the blue to care about the environment if they don't, um, or to take action when they're blinded by utility companies and things like that. Um, the way that I've always done it is I just stick to the science. I say, look, here are the facts. This is what we're going to see happening. I show them what's already been happening. I have videos and pictures logged on my phone that I pull up randomly in discussions. And I say, look, this is what we're experiencing. Do you see this flooding up to my calves? Do you see this flooding literally in every city across Miami-Dade County? When we experience this flooding, you can't go and visit a single city and not find flooding. It is that prevalent and it's only going to get worse. I've seen it get worse in my lifetime. When I was younger, this didn't happen. Um, so. You know, a lot of people living here, they have kids. 
they have grandkids. This is their future that they're protecting. So I, I, I like to talk about the science. I like to show them exactly what's happening. And I also like to talk about it on an emotional level because this is an emotional topic. You know, we're losing a lot of our region and we're only going to continue to lose these special places, these unique one of a kind habitats that are found nowhere else on this planet, the Everglades. It has animal, fauna species, flora species that you can't find anywhere else on this earth. And we are destroying it by allowing seas to continue to rise, by not doing anything to address our climate change crisis. The Everglades may not exist one day. It sits at one to two feet above sea level. If we're expecting two to three feet of sea level rise because of what we've already done, that leaves a lot of the Everglades underwater and a lot of its species unprotected. Delaney, I think about the fact that you're now going to go and study law. And, you know, this means that, you know, the rest of your life, you're going to deal with politicians. And I wonder from everything you've learned, what's the strategy? How do you, you know, and, and look, you've seen it too. It's not, this is not about partisanship, whether you're talking about one side or the other. It is really tough. They are thinking about the next election. They're thinking about winning and they got to say whatever they got to say to get the votes. So you know what it's like. You've had the opportunity. What have you learned? How do you take that forward in, in your dealings with politicians on every level? Yeah, so you're right. Obviously, let me first start by saying that not all politicians are bad. No, no, <laughs> I, that's true. They're not. They're not all bad. Obviously, like Mayor Stoddard, great guy. Um, and they're all wonderful people. I'm just saying when it comes to the climate change crisis, there's a lot of them here in Florida right now that are deniers. So let me just start by saying that. Um, however, yeah, a lot of politicians are selfish. They just want to work to get to the next highest position and work their way up through the system. I don't understand that part too much yet. Maybe that's something I'll understand more in law school. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think that the best way that I've seen in working with politicians is to, you have to have, it has to be mutual. So whatever I get out of it, they have to get something out of it that will better their career as well. So while I want fixers for the environment, they want to say, I did this for the environment, you should elect me. So I think that working with them to create something that they're interested in, that they think will help their key demographic vote for them more is really important. I think that's one of the best answers I've ever heard in talking about <laughs> politicians. Very good, very, very good. Thanks again for listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. You can follow us on most platforms, and if you're a listener, please tap that subscribe button. And if you like the content, please rate and review, and then go tell somebody about it. We're talking with Jen Zier, author, activist, and student Delaney Reynolds. You can learn more about her and all of her accomplishments and all the work that she's doing, including the lawsuit against the state of Florida. It's on our website, planetearth2072.com. We're going to get back to our conversation with her, but first let me tell you about another podcast that's produced by this company. It's called The Reporter Studio. What do you know about the news media? 
Have you ever met a journalist? Welcome to the Reporter Studio. The first one was like the Superman phase, where it's like, I can do anything and I'll never be harmed. And then the second one was, I can do most things, maybe I'll be harmed. And then the third one was, something will happen to me. If Audience I anger. Um, people are like, oh, these are fact checkers are just, you know, they're not really umpires. They're the liberal media. They're trying to put their thumb on the scales. But worse than that, like you'd be kind of horrified by the profanity and some of the- That's if you go to Mars, drop off, and then immediately come back. Like we're talking about something eight, nine, 10, 12 years, you're going to that planet. And while you're there, you're not on the surface of the planet. You're, you're stuck in your spacecraft or stuck underground because it's- not Nobody's patsy. And one thing I learned after the Iraq war is that you just cannot allow um, someone else to control. Today, it's a bit rough being a journalist. And sometimes I would agree, we deserve the criticism. But many of us are just ordinary people trying to do a job the best we can. Learn more about the reality of the lives of journalists at The Reporter Studio. Go to thereporterstudio.com and find the podcast on your podcast app. Find out more at thereporterstudio.com. Let's get back to our conversation with activist and author Delaney Reynolds. What's the next big, I mean, besides, you know, going back to school, uh, what's the next big project for you and your advocacy work? Yeah, so I have a lot of, really great things coming up. Um, I'm going to keep doing the work that I've been doing, continue to educate people publicly. Obviously, um, school is coming into session soon. So that means I get to do more PowerPoint presentations and lectures. Um, I've done a lot through Zoom recently, and that's been really cool to be able to connect with people all over the world, um, which is an which is something that I've done before, but not to this scale. Um, so it's been really cool to be able to expand my work in that sense. But hopefully I'll be able to go back to doing in-person presentations as well, because that's what I love to do. Um, I'm going to keep working through the judicial system and other government entities. Um, I have a couple things coming up that I'll be announcing soon. As we talked about, I just worked with the city of South Miami on the law, um, with the mayor and the commission to improve it. Um, I, I have a lot, a lot of presentations coming up is basically like the next thing. Um, next big thing, I, I actually kind of have a podcast that I want to start. I'm not going to lie. So you've kind of inspired me and maybe I can have you on it one day. That would be awesome. Um, so I've actually been working on that a little bit behind the scenes and hopefully that will come to fruition in the next few months. Fantastic. Oh, definitely. Let me know about that. Definitely. I will. Um, you know, Delaney, I was thinking about this and this is the reason that I was inspired to do this podcast is, uh, you know, I think about your generation's going to be around to see a lot of the damage. And, right. um, you know, I'd read about how your generation is dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress about the future. I mean, first of all, I mean, tell me, is that, is that true? Is that, is that what you, what, what you and, and your peers are feeling? And, and I want to understand what that is. What do you, when you think about the future, what, what's going through your mind? Yeah, of course. Um, obviously it's different for everyone, but it's scary to think about the future and the fact that we might not 
have a home here in South Florida, that it won't exist anymore, that our geography is going to change so drastically because of things that we've been doing as a species. Um, so it's, it's scary to think about that we've caused so much of this turmoil. Um, for me, the scariest thing is thinking about how big climate change is, how much it's going to impact society in so many different ways. I could, you know, the presentations that I give are typically anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes, but I could talk for hours about the different implications of climate change. It's not just sea level rise, and it's not just here in Florida. It's heat waves, it's disease, it's drought, it's so many other things in and it's different in every place. Um, there's not a single aspect of society that climate change isn't going to touch. So that to me is the scariest thing because I often think about how how can I help more? You know, like I, I work on sea level rise, but there's so many other issues. And I sometimes feel like I'm not doing enough to address those issues, or maybe I'm not even doing enough to address sea level rise because we're not seeing that much change when it comes to politicians here in South Florida. And I, I just don't know what else I can be doing. And I'm trying to save the future and so many other kids are, and we're just not seeing enough. And it's like that kind of mindset um, that freaks me out. And my brain just keeps going and firing and what can I do and what can I do? Um, but then I just kind of like have to calm myself down and say, you know, you're doing a lot. <laughs> you're trying your hardest keep working at it. You've seen changes being made because of the work that you've been doing. So don't stop and you'll continue to see changes being made. Um, and then I also, when it comes to the future, I like to think a lot about the current youth generations, the millennials, the Gen Z, because what we've seen over the past couple of years with climate strikes and getting involved virtually is that millions and millions of kids all over the world are super passionate about climate change. They flooded the streets to demand that their politicians, their political leaders implement different climate change solutions. And so that gives me so much hope for the future. I think that once we are able to be in charge, once we can replace the politicians who are deniers, then we're really gonna start seeing the changes that we need made be implemented. And I think that that will be kind of like a turning point for our society. And fingers crossed, we will start to, you know, see our emissions cut down and maybe we won't have sea level rise one day. Well, I will say this. Um, that's an interesting take, you know, because I wanted to understand the anxiety that you, you're feeling. Um, if you're thinking that you're not doing enough, Delaney, if, if half of us were doing half of what you were doing, I think the world would be better. Um, but I think that's interesting. And I do think that at least my conversations with your generation, um, your generation, I think, will be in charge before you know it. And that's I think that's a good thing. You guys have an energy and a passion that I haven't seen before. You know, I mean, I, I think about what you've accomplished. And I mean, look, I think I'm a smart guy. But at the same time, when I was your age, I was just, you know, worried about tests and girls and video games. And that's about it. And, and my, gen my generation was different. We weren't, you know, it was just a different time, a different world. And we didn't have that same passion and energy. Um, I am trying to inspire them, though, to do something before we finish this world. Um, let me put you in, on the spot again. Let's pretend we're in the future. Mm -hmm. 2072, the year 2072. Do you know how old you're going to be, by the way? I'll be 72. <laughs> 72. All right. 
if I live that long, that would be my 100th birthday, but we'll see. I don't know. 2072, imagine that you are, you, you, you're back in Miami for whatever reason. You're just visiting or maybe you're, you live there, but either way, you're standing there. Tell me, what do you see? How much has the city changed? My hope is that there's solar panels everywhere, on every building, on every house, completely renewable. There's no fracking. There's no oil drilling out in the Gulf. And that we still have some solace of society still here in Miami. Maybe we're on stilts, our houses. Maybe we're having to live in some way with the water. Maybe there's floodgates and dams and different ways that we've had to adapt, but we're still here in Miami and we're still fighting. That is my hope. That's how I would like to see 2072. Well, you will be around to see it and hopefully it's not. Listen, I get really interesting answers from a lot of people about that. And I hope that, um, that yeah, by then we figured it out and we're doing a lot better. So Delaney, Thank you so, so, so much. This has been a pleasure. Always so much fun talking to you. Very, always inspiring talking to you, by the way. Thank um, you. Congratulations on your graduation. Good luck, you know, in, in, your, you. in, your, in your continued schooling. And no, we'll keep in touch um, because I want to see what happens with this lawsuit. I want to see what happens, obviously, in the next election, uh, you know, what politicians are doing, what they're not doing. And what we can do, you know, I think, and for me, the next project after this is I just, I want to find a way to inspire people as you have, uh, just even to do a few little things. And if we could all do a few little things, that'll make a difference. Yes, it definitely will. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to working together more in the future as we always end up doing. That's true. We do. That was Delaney Reynolds, author, activist, student, and Gen Zer. Learn more about her work and her accomplishments, and again about her lawsuit against the state of Florida. It's on our website, planetearth2072.com. I want to tell you about the book that goes with this podcast, just as a reminder. See, again, this idea started as a science fiction novel, and it's called Planet Earth 2072. Now, the first couple of stories of the novel are already available for free. Again, you can find them on the website or on Wattpad. Just look up Radio Host if you're a member of that community. Again, it's a collection of 12 stories interconnected that take place in the fall of 2072. Coming up in episode six of Planet Earth 2072. They're more worried about, you know, putting food on like the dinner plate and having access to clean water. They're not, you know, thinking about when the next hurricane is gonna come because those are the communities that are facing climate effects like right now and they have for a while and we can't just keep ignoring that. We'll hear from Gen Zer Maya Gouda and... What's the challenge for people is how many days, you know, how many days during the year is there going to be street flooding in front of my house that's going to create a problem, you know? So the way I sort of think about it is how many days is there gonna be six inches of water for over six hours in front of my Professor Ben Kurtman. 
Thanks again for listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast. You can follow more about our guests and the stories and articles used in the research for this podcast, again, at planetearth2072.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.